Welcome to Uncorrect with Kelly Mena, Stephen Witt, Tom Rosati. Great. So this is our first episode. Um, this should be kind of fun and exciting. It's our first podcast. I'm excited. We're going to talk about some things going on in New York City um, and some things that uh, kind of pique our interests. Starting with, Steve should like this, marijuana legalization. Cuomo just uh, proposed a plan to legalize adult use cannabis, which adult use, I think, is supposed to be the operative term there. So go, go, since you're such a connoisseur. Well, this <laughs> is a very strange issue because as a somebody who's been smoking cannabis since I've been 14 years old and has worked for high times as a reporter for a number of years about the legalization in the high time, it was called the high witness news department. Right. <laughs> I was in, 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 were you were you obligated to be like a smoker? Like, could you work there and not have ever smoked marijuana? Yes, you life? could. But it's interesting because every day at 420, we used to go. It, they had the officers on Park Avenue South uh-huh. and we'd go in the hall. And there was a time and normally I went to it because the cannabis was so strong. <laughs> and uh, Cheech Marin came in or Chong, one of them. Right. And the Cheech and Chong movies because they'd have guests. And it's like, wow, I'm going to smoke with Cheech and Chong. I forgot, or I forgot which one it is, right? And, and I went out there. And at the time, I had to interview the U.S. attorney because I was doing a story about this guy from Arkansas that had a grow operation. And he ran away to Holland. And they were trying to extradite him, you know, um, because he, he was facing all these charges. Mm-hmm. So I had this call. I was waiting for the guy to call me back. I went out there. I was ripped and i mean cotton mouth i gave back to my desk and the u.s attorney calls me and and he's like what do you mean a lawyer from the attorney's office yes no not the u.s right from dc and they're involved in the case and i'm doing this big investigative story and i'm like i uh i'm like cotton mouth i couldn't think i was like totally ripped and i'm like uh, let me just call you right back. And I literally wrote questions out, didn't do any follow up questions, just asked them the questions because I, I knew the story still because I've been working on it all day. Right. But here it was 420 and everybody gets high and I wanted to get high with this guy because he was a famous guy. Oh so you didn't have to be that. You didn't, it wasn't obligatory to get hired. But like when you got hired, was like one of the questions on the application, like, have you ever smoked marijuana before? No, I only got hired because I knew someone on the high witness news team that I worked for on another. That you would get high with regularly. Um, no, that wasn't your name. Uh-huh. <laughs> like you didn't brand that your own column behind of your no, they actually had like the, the the magazine had news departments. So there was like the, you know, the the grow department, you know, the right. and they actually had a pretty good news department. And I'll tell you, as a journalist, the uh, my editor, Pete Gorman, was an incredible investigative journalist. I mean, they really had great investigative journalism because they followed the drug war. Right. And, you know, there's like the Pete would go to South America and literally, and this is back in the day when go the CIA, in the jungles, and yeah, stuff? and go in the jungles, and he used to say how the CIA get involved because they would they would arm the rebels, and if the U.S. government was for the rebels, 
everything was done drugs for arms he, you know he said there's only so many black market items out there you know? well i think it's also kind of funny that they're going to legalize marijuana because all of a sudden it's like now we're not going to now we're going to like all those people that we've gotten for marijuana charges right we're not going to like we're going to be like oh it's totally fine this has been fine for this whole time well, well one that's of, one of the major yeah one of the major right? yeah in terms of rectifying because you know even de blasio mentioned like and a lot of people mentioned like okay basically marijuana is being corporatized, it's been used as a tool to um, police poor neighborhoods for years and years and years. And now all of a sudden, no, everything's cool. That's the funny thing. And if you think about it, what's the first thing that a cop pulls somebody over for? Like when they're suspicious, they're like, oh, I smell marijuana in the car. Because you can't smell crack, you can't smell coke, but you can definitely smell weed. So they'll be like, oh, I, I smell something in the car. And that's when they use that. What is it like probable cause to like search your car and stuff? Yeah, that's actually as something that happened to <laughs> That happened to you? Yeah. Really? Yes. Oh my How, god. What was that? You don't remember? Is it, I mean, is it, oh, you were there, of course. You were there, Steve. <laughs> no, I don't remember. Uh no, they pulled me over because I was talking to my cell phone, which is and they found a pipe in my car. They said they smelled something and they found a pipe in the back seat of the car. Really? Remember this? And I went to jail for a night. Yeah, vaguely. <laughs> so and, well, the thing was, it was a Friday night, and the, the I was one of two white people in the cell. It was all people of color who, for the same thing. They got off of work at 5 p.m. They went to go meet their dealer. They got busted. You know, like these cops would just roll around in vans and pick up, you know, just like workaday people who were just like, all right, I just finished work. I want to, you know, smoke a spliff and watch TV and go to sleep. Ending up in the jail. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I mean, the, the cost, the effect on the people, like, it's just so stupid. And even the cop who drove me to jail was like, I would have not arrested you. But one of the, one of the other cops said to me in the jail cell, well, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a small little thing, but, you know, it's great because we can use this as a police tool. We can get people, you know, how many people we get for weed, you know, then we find something else. I'm like, Correct. What you just described to me is constitutionally illegal. Yeah. Like you don't, you're so stupid. You don't even understand. Like you could, like you've basically, you're violating my constitutional rights by telling me this. As if you're not allowed to do that. You yeah. can't, you can't create crimes that then are used as, I don't know what the term is, but there's a legal term where it's like basically, you know, I don't know. It's like the equivalent of a gateway drug, right? Like, oh, well, we can get you for this and then we can search your car and we can find something else. Oh, right, right. And I, as a connoisseur of cops myself, the TV show, <laughs> one of the number one things that they pull over teens for is like, oh, I smell like something in the car. I wonder what that smell is. And it's always weed. And then they always end up finding something other than like could possibly find something else. But yes, I think that that is, the like I said, weed is the only drug that you can smell, but it's kind of ironic that it, it has such a strong smell, but such a weak, like it's such a low level drug offense and it could lead to other things, which you mentioned, you don't think yeah, they, that's the, the Yeah, I'll be politically incorrect here. Uh -huh. After working for high times and being a lifelong uh, weed smoker, I'm not so sure they should legalize it. I think that the THC content's a lot higher. I think the states, I've read articles that uh, crime is higher in Washington and Colorado and Alaska, the first three states. Murder rate has, has gone up in all states. Aggravated assaults have gone up. Uh, emergency room visits for psychosis and, and paranoia, and paranoia could lead 
to crime. I mean, the, the marijuana lobby has, oh, it's totally safe. Right. But, you know, kids, the, the this isn't the marijuana I smoked at 14 with a low THC. Well, this is really potent. Huh? Uh, uh, sorry, I just want to interject. You kind of sounded like Trump in his wall. There's, there, there are raping people. There are burglarizing people. There, this, there, that. It kind of, it was right. reminiscent of that whole thing. I'm sorry, well, I had to mention that. Well, there was an op-ed that was published both in the Times and the Post, I think, a week ago, that laid out that case. And someone, he, I think, I don't know if you, those statistics were from what you. What, yes, that, that was the from the editorial. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, there are deep concerns with. Basically, okay, going from uh, a substance that is completely illegal to full recreational use, I mean, there's a lot of things to work out. But you can't deny that there are a lot of issues with keeping it illegal and, you know, the, the social justice elements of how that's used as a, a police tactic. Right, right. So, right. you know, whether, whether you know, the government figures out, okay, well, we need to decriminalize it or, you know, we'll create a rule that, allows for people not to be prosecuted now their lives are ruined for having a 20 bag but then not promoting a not just like sort of opening everything up to a culture where you've got like i mean have you seen these stores in denver and california yeah i hear they're wild it's ridiculous it's like macy's it's like they're like like beautiful boxes with like height i mean every single type of strain i mean i was just in california and like everyone I mean, everyone in California is high all the time. I'm not <laughs> yeah. saying, like, they're like, have an edible. I'm like, no, it's 11 o'clock. I mean. It's ridiculous. Uh, that's why I think it, the the operative term there is adult use. Right. Not like anybody can use. Obviously, there's going to be thresholds that need to be met, certain things that are going to go in place. I'm sure they're thinking about all those things. But I, I, I don't think they've developed a test for uh, marijuana driving, like drunk driving. I don't think there's a test that measures uh, if you're impaired by marijuana. I don't think there is. I've never even heard of it. But the other thing is, what would you test, though? Because certain people are affected in different ways. There's different strands that affect you differently. Like, what would be the test if you you were to... I don't know, but I think marijuana is somebody who's been high and dry. I I think it impairs a little bit, you know? I'm a little bit impaired. Not like drunk driving. But there is an impairment level. Well, you know what? <laughs> Marijuana creates a lot of indecisiveness. You know, it, and there, there is a motivational thing. I love marijuana, but, you know, a lot of heavy marijuana smokers, they, there's a little motivational factor. And if you're driving, you're like, should I get a left? Should I make a right? Should I go? There's like in, impairment of forgetfulness, short-term forgetfulness that happens. I don't, I don't think anyone's going to, disagree with the fact that like smoking weed and driving is a good not a good idea but and what we're talking about is basically like embracing marijuana culture versus decriminalization and ending the you know generally racist ideas that go behind policing people for marijuana use right those are two different things right right, right. i think they're trying to do both at the same time but it's not that's i think that there's two different issues here yeah when it comes to well said tom i don't the other thing I'm going to say is, that, well, I don't like, I, yeah, I mean, I've smoked weed obviously in the past and I've been arrested for, for having, oh, I, I, I had a pipe. It was ridiculous. I didn't even he, got, he got arrested for residue. I had, yeah, officially got arrested for residue. And, and I told the guys in my cell, like what happened? And they thought it was hilarious. And then anytime someone new came to the cell, they're like, yo, t- tell them what you got arrested for. And they thought it was like ridiculous. What was that? What was like the worst person that was in the cell with you? I just want to know. 
well, the worst guy was actually, so it was, so there were basically, it was mainly people of color and me and another white guy. Uh-huh. No, there were two white guys, but one of the, the, I don't know what he was arrested for, but he was monopolizing the cell phone. And he was like, all right, go to the garage, pick that stuff up, bring it to Tony's, you know, like the guy, he was totally, he was like orchestrating this whole, like. Drug he, ring. Yeah. I don't know what he did, but he, he said he, he told me that he got arrested SWAT team style. Like he got arrested. Like 4 a.m. Kicked gun down the to, door. With a gun to his head. Oof. So I assume that it was somewhat. And he had serious. to take care of some kind of business. Yeah, he, was, <laughs> he was, he was working that night. Oh uh, my gosh. Wait, did you have to stay Saturday and Sunday because you got arrested Friday? I got arraigned on, I don't, I don't know what the term is, but Saturday morning, basically. Moving on. Right. IDNYC this well, year. I, I, so, well, I do want to say about the marijuana thing. Um, well, I don't really support, you know, just going wholehearted into, you know, fully accepting marijuana as something that's benign. I do think that any legislation that will prevent people from vaping is a good idea. So speaking of, you know, my friends, every single person that I know has a jewel. That thing is in, it is worse than, than cell phones. It is worse than cell phones. I I, I think vaping. It is so, it's so pervasive. It is. There's some people that I didn't even know how to jewel, have a jewel. And they're so. Have a joint. Fuck it. Like, yes. I, and it's so, so annoying. It's so like it's so easily disguisable too because it's so little. It's like the size of my middle finger. And I have small hands. And you just will hit it one time and it's over. You're just like, it's hmm. insane. I I Jules making a whole bunch of money. Whatever they did was kind of like the Instagram craze and everybody wants one now. And it's pretty crazy. But anyway, we're gonna move on. This week, they also announced um, a third gender designation where you don't actually have to pick a gender for your ID NYC card, which for a lot of people in the LGBTQ plus community is a positive. They've been pushing for this legislation and and advocates have been wanting this for a while. What do you guys think about that? I'm a, a, if you have a no designation and then you use your ID NYC card and you go into a bank and you want to start a bank account, if if a guy if the the bank manager goes up to you and says, "Well, sir, I really think," can the guy say, "You call me sir? I'm not a sir, and I'm not a ma'am. I'm a it or whatever they call it." I mean, will it open up civil rights lawsuits for calling somebody the wrong gender? Is uh, it that kind of already exists though? Like yeah, the misgen- like- it's called misgendering people. But uh, I don't think it, I don't. First off. I don't understand how that would even translate to the bank man, like to the bank. Well, the, a, if you have a NYC, the I, the reason you have it, the first thing then I do you when I go open to a up, bank is I, I, I pick up my them. NYC ID card and I show them my gender just so. No, but NYC ID is is mainly geared toward undocumented people. Correct. Right, and undocumented people. The reason it's given so they can get drivers. It's a it's a legal form of ID, so you can open bank accounts. So you can get a driver's, driver's license. license. So you know, see so healthcare. So you can access all these things, both legal, you know, government services mm-hmm. and legal financial services. So now you're going with with an ID in there, 
And now they're going to have to when they when they check off gender. They don't, gonna... che- you don't check off I, gender. I was going to say, what was the last time that you filled you out any application anywhere? That's been they've been trying to push for those things. Don't anyway. that, you can I'm also right. put like no designation. All right, sir, drop your pants. <laughs> See what you have down there. Yeah, but we'll give you a male or a female bank account. <laughs> so, so you think now that 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 the truth is that there's three genders. I mean, it used to be there's male and female. And now, but that's a social construct, male and female. That's that's uh, there. There was never oh, there was two genders. It's not like cavemen were like okay, I'm a male, I'm a female. Like that. You don't think a existed. social construct is is I'm a non-gender? You don't think that's a social construct? Look, I mean, so first of all, what are the what are the implications about? I, I mean, the NYC ID card in itself is. How does that affect most people? Not, not so much, right? I mean, this is basically, it's, I don't want to say it's a token, but it's like, it's, it's a show. It's like, it's a show of appreciation for the idea for people who don't identify as a man or a woman Correct. that our city recognizes them. Right. right. And say, hey, look, you know, we don't want to, we, we want to support people who feel this way. But, and the main reason from a societal perspective is that, in this community, you have a lot of violence against trans people, and you have a lot of um, self, you know, self-esteem issues, a lot of suicide, a lot of people feeling like they don't fit into society. So, from a government perspective, this is a no-brainer. It's a really easy mm-hmm. thing to do. Okay, we value that you you don't conform to one of these genders, and um, we're gonna we're gonna do something really easy. <laughs> you look cute. And it's not about a third gender. It's the, it's non-binary. It's like, why do I have to give my gender? You know, it's like, I don't have to. Why do I have to choose these kind of things? Like, why do I have to choose to fit as a male or a female? I can be kind of whatever I choose to be. And you have to recognize that. And it's kind of what Tom just said. It's like, there are a group of people that need that uh, that are there and exist and they don't necessarily identify with those two categories why should we keep them out like there's so i'm a white guy what if i say for now and i don't care what i look like i identify as a latino woman okay rachel dalazel you can't do that i I would welcome that (laughs) (laughs) but all right but here's the thing you identify as a white male right but like well, what if I don't want to? I can go, I don't care what I look yeah, what like. It, but, I but, don't but then, identify as that. then you get into the other question of what is a man, right? You have a penis, presumably. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you had to fit in. You have had to create your own idea of what a man is, right? And that starts from being a kid. So I, call me a psychic, but my, my guess is that you weren't the manliest kid in your high school, right? Right. Were you a jock? No. No. Were you bullied at all yeah a little bit yeah so like you why were you bullied for probably by men who were calling you basically not male right you weren't male enough you were like this artsy guy you played music whatever you weren't conforming to the typical male stereotypes of that generation right and you probably didn't really think about it because you felt comfortable in your own skin well i'm a guy i can do whatever the hell i want right but you didn't you're not like you weren't a jock you weren't like you weren't like lifting weights to prove that you're a man. A lot of things that people feel like they have to conform to in other parts of male society, you know, societies where machismo is really strong, for example, you, 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 you didn't have, that was never an issue for you. Right. 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 So for other people to give them that opportunity to just be like, yeah, 
I, I'm whatever I want. I'm a guy, I paint my fingernails because I like it, but people call me a girl. Well, I don't care. Or I want to grow my hair long. Or I want to wear a dress. Like, come on, man. You're from the 70s. 60s. Right. 60s. Like, you're like, you know, New York, it, like, this has always been a part of the sort of counterculture. And right. what we're saying is like, yeah, who gives a shit? Like, who gives a shit if this dude wears a dress? Who gives a shit if this girl wants to dress like a trucker? Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't actually matter in our society. Right, right. right. So I think it doesn't matter, but... There, you know, it's a related, it's not this law, but there's like parents that don't want their kids to be identified as either, and they want their kid to grow up and decide what they are. Well, you're talking right? about parenting issues, or you're talking about people, parents I mean, imposing the, their will on children. That's it's something I can't, bad, no what you I was going to say uh, that, that it's funny you mentioned that because there's this, um, this clothing line that I've been seeing everywhere called primary, where it's just colors. And I love that idea. It doesn't say anything about girl, boy, anything. It's just colors. So any kid can wear the clothes. It's so nice. It's so refreshing. And the colors are beautiful. And so I think that it doesn't, I think because you come from that idea of the traditionally, this is what males do. And traditionally, this is what females do. And it's always been male and female. You have to start trying to get out of that idea that it has to be in this box and it has to be this way or that way it can just be what it is well that I, is i mean i'm not not conforming to those standards that we've had for so long i'm not a, against it per se but i think it's a slippery slope when we talk about equality and every like there was a kurt vonnegut story what? that i wrote you know there's a kurt vonnegut story like the 20 the 35th amendment is everybody has to be equal and they would have a dancer that would have to wear sandbags because other people couldn't dance or a sprinter or some people would have to wear goggles because they had really good eyes. In other words, the, it it's a slippery slope when we get into all so this. Why? So why? So why? And everybody has to have their rights. I mean, so why? Where, what do you mean? Where are we headed, Steve? Where, where would we? First of all, because <laughs> no one's like, there's no, no one's arguing for equality of gender, whatever that means. I don't know what that means. All right, so I go along with it. I mean, I'm not going to belabor it. It's fine, I guess. You know, it's fine. I'm not, like, hating on it. I just think it's a very politically correct thing to do. So, be, and... Yeah, but, no, but politicians aren't, like, you know, it's not that these politicians are, like, you know what we got to do this in this term? We got to, like, enforce gender fluidity. No, people, advocacy groups are going to them and right. saying, hey, you know what would actually matter? Yes. To, to improve the lives of people who are suffering? Correct. If we enact legislation that makes makes our society inclusive to people who identify in all with all genders, because it's there's no skin off our back. Right. What's this? It's, Fine. And then the other thing I was going to say is one of the biggest things when you feel like you're not being recognized in society is recognition because it's a form of respect. You know, when you're when somebody talks and somebody then speaks, to, if there's a room full of people and like somebody say the mayor is in the room. Right. And he then goes, Stephen Witt, don't you feel kind of special because he's recognizing yes. you by your name and giving you a form of respect? Right. It's kind of that same idea. It's so like, what do you call I'm them? Recognized. What do you mean? I then? mean, if the person's non-gender, you just call. So they, everybody has pronouns. What's pronouns? A pronoun. I mean, their name. No pronoun is how they like to be 
So what are the, so what's, what they what how they like to be recognized? So what's the pronoun for? You, every person has their own. Minus, non. Minus uh, her. There's, there's lots of her, her. She. Minus her and she, but everybody. There's so many. I, I don't know. It's everybody's different. Okay. They'll let you know their pronouns. You know when you meet them. Every person will, but they're not a them, Steve. They're people. Well, some people actually, ironically, like like the pronoun they. Correct. They. Which is, yeah. Really? Which is, Whatever you want. Why does it matter, though? No, what does it, it cost you, Steve? It doesn't cost me, but I just don't want to, like, get punched in the mouth if I call someone a he and it's a they or a fish. You know, I just, people can get very sensitive over that. Yeah, all right, well, I don't know what your particular sensitivity is with your identity. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, maybe, you know, maybe, like, all right, for example, for you, for, for uh, religion, right? You have right. a very particular idea of where you are within a, a particular right. religion, right? Like, you identify yourself as a Jew. Jew, secular Jew, right? right? So if somebody makes the horrible mistake of thinking that you're ultra orthodox, are you going to, how upset are you going to get with them? Not upset. Well, I'll correct them. Like, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. not, you know, like I'm right. Jewish, but I identify uh, yeah. with the culture and not the religion and right. blah, blah, blah. And you have a very, you have your own very particular way of understanding what you are as related to a group of people, uh, your family, whatever. Mm-hmm. And and it, and you probably wouldn't take offense if someone who did not have the most nuanced idea of what it meant to be Jewish referred to you as something else. And I think trans people probably, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm just assuming this, but like, you know, you would assume, I, well, I've thought about this a lot. Uh, this is how I de- identify. And if someone random who doesn't know me mistakenly, you know, says something to me in, in a good hearted way, not in, 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 a, in a way that I interpret to be, you know, um, threatening, then I'm going to be like, well, actually, no, I, this is, you know, this is, this is how I like to be addressed. And I think simple as that. All right, that's yeah. Fine. Okay. And it's not a, like a whole argument that people have in the middle of the street. You know, it's not like they like, right. are, you know, that's not the thing. So, okay. Well said, Tom. It's just like a, like me, when people see me, they think I'm Dominican. I don't go, oh my gosh. I just go, oh, I'm not Dominican. I'm Colombian. But it's close enough. You know, I, they never, they've never seen me. They don't know me. They just right. thought I, that's something I could be. So. Right. They I mean, just most people give each other the benefit of the doubt if it's coming from a good place. Exactly, like uh, it's a te- intention has to also be there. You know, it's not just like anything. All right, on to the next topic. Coney Island recently was announced as the next ferry stop, which on the New York City ferry, which in my opinion should have always been on the NYC ferry, but I, I guess it was overlooked because it's an amusement. It's more of a, a, a summer amusement. Than in a year-round kind of place, but I don't know. I'm not originally from New York, so I don't know. Maybe either one of you can enlighten me on that. It's the stop isn't coming till 2021. Funny enough, though, so I don't know where they're gonna put the dock. I'm not sure about all those logistics, but I, I thought of, of any place, Coney Island should have had it for a while. They're like right off the water. I mean, when you think Coney Island, you think rides, this, that, ferry, right? Right. Uh, it, Coney Island's very transit starved and a lot, there's really two Coney Islands. There's the America's playground, Correct. which is, that's you the know, one I kind of, a tourist with. thing and yeah. there should be a ferry for that reason alone. Yeah, that's yeah. But the other, the other side is Western Coney Island, which is blocks and blocks from the subway, the bus. Sometimes you have to wait forever for the buses. And if you're going to the city, it's the last stop. You got to take a bus from Western Coney Island to uh, the Coney Island subway stop. 
and then you have to take this train all the way into the city. And it, it, it makes a lot of sense for residents of Coney Island to have a ferry stop. Mm -hmm. you know? I wonder why the mayor, though, announced it so early. It's 2019. It's like, yeah, you guys are getting a ferry stop two years from now, though. <laughs> it's like, OK. When he's well, out of office. Was in the state of the, state of the city address, right? Right, right. Yeah. right. But, yeah, I mean, maybe it's just sort of plan. I mean, these things take a long time. Right? The second time you subway, it took forever, you know, so you have to plan and just sort of lay out a whole. It's like they're expanding service, right? Correct, yeah. There's a couple of other places that are going to be getting ferry stops, but not right. the Rockaways, funny enough. Well, oh, Rockaways well, the Rockaway has, has one, but one. not Canarsie. Canarsie, that's what I meant. Sorry, Canarsie. Oh. Yeah. Which is also transit start Very over there. Very transit start. All Canarsie. the way at the end, you know? I mean, I think the only issue the only issue that people bring up is the cost and how many people actually ride these ferries. But they, and the city subsidizing the cost. Well, I, I, but it's kind of like if you build it, they will come. You know, like it's you can't, been doing very you, well. I, I was going to say yeah. their ridership is on the rise, and you don't know you're going to ride something until it, go, it gets there. You know. Well, it is kind of hard to sort of take a slanted view on something that seems pretty straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a ferry boat captain with a hat, <laughs> right? Wearing a beanie inside. That's so weird. Yes, I know. Hey, it's my choice. Is it? That's right. You can yeah. choose to do whatever you'd like, That's Steve. That's right. You are very well dressed. It makes me think that you think that a podcast is a <laughs> visual component. I know. That's why I'm like, I'm totally yeah, dressed down. I'm wearing basic clothing. Um, but you know what? They say dress for the job you want, and you're dressing as if you have a podcast at NPR. So I like it. Thank you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, public advocate race coming up next month is a special election. I think we're just at a little over a month away from that, that special election. A whole bunch of people in that race. Give me some people who you're you're looking for. Who do you think are some front runners? Jumani Williams is definitely a front runner. He ran for lieutenant governor. He's he got a lot of votes. He nearly won. So his name recognition is through the roof. He's going to have Brooklyn on lockdown because he is both Frank Sedio and the mainstream Democratic machine and then the New Kings Democrats, the progressives. Right. So he's like, the you know, the, the front runner so far as Brooklyn goes. And that might be enough votes to win him citywide. But I would say the other front runners, I think Rafael Espinon is from Brooklyn. He opened an office in Queens. He's Hispanic. There isn't really a big Hispanic vote in Brooklyn. But in the Bronx and Queens and even Manhattan, there's a fairly large Hispanic vote and he's branching out there. I think he runs a smart race. So he's a front runner. And then Michael Blake, the assemblyman from uh, from the Bronx, worked in the Obama administration, has a tie to a lot of money. He's got a lot of backing. He's got some people from Bed-Stuy behind him. So he's going to siphon off some votes. I'm also looking forward to see whoever wins a public advocates race, how they're going to be with the mayor. You know, like what is going to how they're going to how are they going to spar? Are they going to be more leaning towards some of the the policies that the mayor wants? I mean, how what you know, the public advocates supposed to advocate on behalf of the people, not necessarily on the legislator side. So it's going to be interesting whoever wins to see what type of relationship they're going to have with the mayor. Well, the mayor's got two more years and everybody's moving up. Mayor's going to be out of town running for president or <laughs> positioning himself for a cabinet post or vice president. 
His whole speech you heard it was here about first that. from Stephen. You know, he said it himself on CNN. Well, he's, he's not ruling it out. Yeah, and and, and the first lady, there, and, Shalane McRae, has been all over as well. And you know, and he he pulls her out everywhere because the interracial thing is really good with identity politics and within the Democratic Party. <laughs> uh, Again, you heard it here from <laughs> Stephen. Wynn. You know, it's funny. I was as somebody who's been in interracial, you know, who's been married, and I have four biracial kids. Um, when he, he, use when he, for oh, yeah, right. when he, he first, uses her as a when political he first football. ran yeah. for mayor, he had, what put him in the front runner was he had Dante and and commercials with his whole family and all. But of a Dante's sudden, his and, kid, whether he was biracial or not, you don't think he would have used him? No, I I think it's smart. You use what you have. You know? <laughs> but do you think that if even if he wasn't a biracial child, he would have used him either way because that's his son? No, maybe not. Well, not the way on, he hold used him. I mean, I covered black neighborhoods. You got to see de Blasio would literally go into churches every Sunday and say, meet my wife. And he would put her out front and she would campaign. I mean, it was like a a team. And then when Dante came up and I was working for art, I remember drinking it at, at watching a game. And the woman next to me, you know, just at a bar and she's like, oh, Dante, I'm going to vote for de Blasio. You know, it, it was it was look. Everybody uses what they can. Max Rose was a war hero, so he's going to come out with, I was a war hero, you know? And in democratic politics, it's, uh, you know, democratic politics is very big on identity politics. Okay, but hold on. So how many conservative politicians have, have dragged their little, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed little, you know, Yes, you use what you have. Yes. To every single There's nothing church. wrong I mean, with what, it. What's the difference? There's nothing wrong with it. Okay. So I'm not so I'm not making a value judgment. No, but it I brought it up because in Democratic Party politics, right? right identity politics sure. is sure. huge. It's right. it's like that's what the party's about these days, you know? They are yeah, partially, I mean, but and that's kind of undeniable. You could say partially, but they're into this leftist identity politics, the million well, women's march, the LBGT. It's a very What about you know, a first the million women's march? I mean, that's because President Donald Trump is trying to take away our rights. I mean, we got to stand up for ourselves. If he was trying to take away rights from any other group, they would march. It, it doesn't have to necessarily be. It's not just about women. Well, Regardless, I do think that he's running for something and the public advocate, going back to that, yeah, let's go is, back to that. is also running for something. Right. In it's two years, a there's a mayoral board. race. Right, right, right. So, that person will definitely be in contention for mayor. So whoever wins, they're going to be looking not so much at keeping the mayor in check, mm -hmm. but positioning themselves to get on the right side of certain issues that they could use as a springboard it's a political position. do you think the person's going to come out of brooklyn queens manhattan the bronx probably well like i said the front runners two are from brooklyn one's from the bronx and then you never know eric ulrich the only republican there's all there's like 20 people who've entered the race right right, right. Like oh it's insane think, it's yeah. insane i it's... think they're missing one person that i, that I would vote for. <laughs> who's that jimmy mcmillan Oh, the, the, the rent is too damn high party. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, that's actually the perfect, pla that's a perfect office for him, right? Like, if he's, like, if, if his only thing as a job is, because I don't even know what the public advocate does. I'm not sure even the people running for it know or care. But, like, all they've seen is that, you know, de Blasio became mayor, Tish Jane just became attorney general. Right. 
Why not? Just have him in there just advocating for... I thought Tish James was actually a very effective public advocate. But what do you... Well, like, what do they do? Well, one know. thing she did that she she was the person... No, no, no. Tom wants to know what is the basic job of... What is a job description for the public advocate? To advocate for the constituents. Right. And to watch out for, to... On, on behalf of the government. In other words, the right. city council and the mayor... So, I think, again, I think Jimmy McConnell is the man. (laughs) I've heard of that party, but I haven't heard of him. But that's funny. Hey, I'm in in that boat. The rent is getting too high in New York City, okay? He's ahead of that issue by, what, Well, Letitia James was the one that brought the lawsuit that uh, said Trump wanted to ask a citizen question, citizenship question on the the census. census. Correct. And it was Tish James that brought that lawsuit to a federal lawsuit. That it was unconstitutional, and it, she just won that. That was a major win for a her. Huge win, huge win. Yeah. All right, last thing: DA's race in Queens coming up. Steve, through an insider, John O'Hara, wrote a big story this week on it. Uh, apparently, a uh, congresswoman, yes, Alexandria Castro Cortez, is looking to back another young Latina that's coming up in the ranks. I'm, tell us a little bit about the race. How you got that story going and why it's so important? Well, actually, I was reading other stories that the Democratic Socialists of America, had, who was uh, big backers of Alexandria, and who who really helped um, get Julia Salazar to become the senator, and you know other people. They've the progressives have really shown their muscle, and a lot of them are millennials and young whites. And they're back, and now I can't remember her name. You uh, think they're young whites? Salazar and Ocasio Cortez are Latinos. No, the Democrat socialists. You know, a lot like Nick Rizzo, Rizzo, the the. That's one. Yeah. Well, okay. So the Democrat socialists. <laughs> I forgot the woman's name, but there's a public defender of color, and then the the other people that are running are. Kind of backed by the Queen's old Democratic machine, Melinda Katz, the, the uh, Queensboro president, and Rory Lankman, who's a city councilman. Tiffany Caban. Tiffany Caban, correct. Yes. She's the one that's being supported by Democratic Socialists? Yes. And She's a public defender. Yes. She's, she? she's young. She works for New York Public Defenders, it's called. It's right? like one of those nonprofits. That, right. right. And she's young. She, she looks like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She has the identity... And uh, in which way does she look like her? Well, here's the thing. The queens. <laughs> she does not look like her. She what has dark hair about? and she's kind of fair skinned. That's she's it. She's wearing a, a blazer. What? Well, she. Uh-huh. Uh, she's got that olive complexion. Uh, she's young. And, and that's. Well, well wait a minute. Wait a minute. Steve, come on. Hold on. Hold on a minute. Hold on. Hold on a second here. Let's look at the queens demographics, right? Let's look. Okay. The, that's her, and that's Ocasio Cortez. Anyways, go on, go on, go. Can I, can I see the other candidates? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Queens demographic. Queens used to be very Irish and Jewish. Correct. Mainly Irish, right? And Joe Crowley is the Queens Democratic leader, and it was always kind of controlled by the by Queens, and he's still the chair of the Queens Democratic Party. Yes, he is. And he was the U.S. representative that. Uh, Ocasio Cortez beat, and a lot in her historic win. In her historic win, and a lot of 
pundits say, well, the demographics have changed. Like even Woodside, we used to be all Irish, mm-hmm. is now mainly Latino. It is. I and, have a couple of family, extended family members that live over And if, if you look at the elected officials in Queens, there's a lot. There's Jessica Ramos. There's uh, uh, Catalina Cruz. There, you know, Peralta was from there. They, you know, they've really, the Hispanics have really been very powerfully, um, you know, influential in these elections. And the the current DA who's stepping down, who's been there, Brown, Richard Brown, who's been there f- since 19, uh, Governor Mario Cuomo actually appointed him, that there's a big talk that they need a DA of color. And and this young lady, uh, that Tiffany Caban, Tiffany Caban, right? Uh, John O'Hara, my source, said, you know, youth is never a factor. You know, that sometimes having a fresh face in there can be an advantage. And if, and if the Democrat Socialists of America galvanize and if Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez puts her Twitter account, she could raise money really quick because mm-hmm. the, the others have a money advantage. And both Lankman and Katz are very tied to the old Irish Queens Democratic machine. Right. So it's a little bit of a proxy battle. Right. I mean, and- I, I, I guess, but Queens is one of the most diverse places in the United States. Yes. I mean, you know, these public schools in, in Woodside and Sunnyside have like, you know, they, they have languages, like 150 different languages. I mean, I don't, I don't think we can't just like boil it down to like Latino versus old school Irish. I mean, you've got, you know, huge South Asian neighborhoods. You have huge yes. black middle class yes. neighborhoods in Eastern Queens. So where is that? Where does that fall into play in this? Yeah. Well, with criminal justice reform and even with the black neighborhood, there's been several articles, not only by Queens County politics, about how they really need a person of color and D.A. And it reflects a little bit like the D.A. race here in Brooklyn after Charlie Hines, where Eric Gonzalez got in um, that. Well, first it was. um, uh before Eric Gonzalez, it was it was uh, Ken Thompson. Ken Thompson, and then Eric Gonzalez. Yes, right. And so there, it's kind of a replay of that. You know, there's a changing of the guard, and it's not so much Hispanic, but it's the demographics have changed. But is this uh, is this on top? I mean, so basically, the presu- and I don't know about this, but the presumption is that the issues in terms of the stances that these people are taking are relatively similar, right? In yes. terms of their views on... It's a race to the left. It's about criminal justice reform, right. that crime right. is down, and there's people wrong. Decriminalizing certain things. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. So, what saying, so what you're saying is that the democratic socialists are, are saying that a person of color is the most, like, given all things being equal, the best that is, a, is, is, the, is, a, is an important step to take in yes, terms there's, of... Right. I mean, I like the idea of young, though, because if you've been there for a while, things become the same, you know, monotonous. You think the same, people start thinking it's the same kind of group think you've been there for so many years. So a young person can come in there and be like, well, what about this idea? And what about, and then they start making everybody think about different things, you know, right. or think differently about the same things, just in a different way of handling and tackling. I mean, experience is also really important, especially in a legal setting. I mean, you know, getting, she graduated getting, in 2012 though. That was seven years ago. Who did? The but, Tiffany command. Yeah. yeah. But you, I mean, look, I'm not, I don't know anything about her, but there is an argument to be said that, okay, well, if you're trying to, you know, make your department effective, if you're managing a hundred lawyers, 
I mean, if you've been in this, uh, you know, even an associate or, or working not in a managerial capacity, that can be a real challenge for you. And so to just to become a political figurehead based on just that, I mean, I think you need, I think you need to have the experience and um, especially when it comes to trying cases and this sort of, you know, something that's actually going to have a real effect on, on the population. I mean, the, that being said, I agree. Like, I think, you know, longtime bureaucrats, uh, you know, they can automatic, you know, now in 2019, they're like, well, I support all this stuff. And you look up their record and you're like, well, why did that, <laughs> you know, like your record, it shows nothing. Right. Uh, that shows that, 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 yeah, that, that it's consistent evidence, with this. Yeah. yeah. What you're, the statements that you're making, I think that was a big thing in the Brooklyn DA's race, right? That all these people started coming out and saying, well, yeah, I support this, this, and this. But when they're working for Heinz, well, I didn't really do anything. Right, so, right. Or they know. did the opposite. You know, they did something that was they in the... Fully, they just followed. They exactly. Just went, okay, yeah, this is my job. And then all of a sudden, now, oh, my, I can do what I want. Right. Now I'm all super progressive. Right, exactly, so yeah. Th- those those need to be added. You know, I don't... I, again, I'm... I Maybe I'm young and I think that experience is a part of it. But I think that when you have good ideas, I mean, what if you have the right people around you, it could be effective. I mean, look yeah. at some of the young people. Ocasio-Cortez didn't have a lot of experience, but what she has is ideas. And those are powerful. You know, I, these are things that I want to get done. These are things that need to be done. These are things that I see that need reform or fixing. With that, I think as long as you have a strong sense of what you want to get done and how you're going to go about getting it done. It's just, you just start putting your, your, your group, your team together, and then you can get those be effective. Yeah. You hire someone that can do it. Well, who can help you do it? Right. right but she, I mean, she's a good example of how immediately she's starting to realize how things actually work. I mean, you know, when you start off by doing a protest, like, you know, she got a lot of blowback from that and like, okay, all right, well, maybe that's not the best way to move forward. And like, you have to try to keep that at, energy and keep the um, enthusiasm but at the same time like you know the democratic leadership quickly put that progressive wing in their place and <laughs> like so they're like okay well no shit we have to like actually operate within the system and that's always the challenge right, right. Like, how yeah, do yeah. You how do you stay enact, young and yeah and still you right Right. And, I, and, and I think that's for anybody who's young and green, goes into any office, you know, you kind of go in like, yes, I got the job. I'm going to get in here. I have these ideas. I'm excited. And then the old person that's been sitting there for 15 years like, whoa, hold your horses. You got to first put in an inter-office memo. Then you yeah. got to sign up for a right. meeting. Then you got to pitch the idea. Then the whole office is going to hear, you know. Is that your experience with KCP? <laughs> <laughs> that is my exact experience with KCP. No, I'm kidding. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, Steve got it all out? I'm surprised. Steve is at a loss for words. Yeah, I'm at a loss for words. Tom, anything? No, I'm just reacting. Oh, there's supposed to be a huge winter storm coming, so I'm looking forward to being stuck in my house for a couple days. Oh, that would be nice. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we need more snow in New York. You know, you know what's crazy? Last right. year around this time, it had snowed already like a couple of times. This year it hasn't snowed no, but once. I'm a winter person. I like a little snow. Well, you are from Chicago where it's yeah. like always cold. I snow. like four seasons. If, if winter comes, I'm like looking forward to a couple of snowstorms. That's what I, that's what I said. I, I yeah. want it to snow. It's winter snow. You know, when it's summer, I want heat. Right. When it's spring, I want blossoming. And then when it's fall, I want all the leaves to blossom. Oh, I thought you want a trip because it's fall. <laughs> 
not funny. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for joining us on our first episode of Uncorrect. Uh, catch us weekly as we continue to follow all things New York City.